How's everybody doing? Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, um, this is going to sound weird, but like, I was so glad I wasn't here last week. And I'll explain, okay, so you know why. Man, I thought Tim just did such a great job, and so I thought, yeah. So that's why I'm glad I wasn't here last week, but I do miss you. It's funny, right? You get a cold or the flu now, and it's like, oh, it could be COVID. And so then I went and got tested, and I'm negative. Just so you know, my wife says I'm always negative, but that's a whole other thing. But um, anyways, it's, uh, if, you're, if you're somebody that's new here today, my name's Todd. I'm the, I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. Really great to have you. Hi. I don't know even say who said hi, but hi. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, everyone else just... Gosh, I love this church. And so we're going to open up God's Word. If you've got your Bible, uh, Bibles, you can open up uh, to uh, Romans 12. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be starting a new series. We've been going through membership in the previous weeks. Uh, we'll still have booklets available if you're still kind of processing and wrestling through uh, membership. Or if you still have questions, we'll definitely be here to be able to answer any questions you have. But we're going to start a new series uh, this morning <clears throat> that's called Thinking Rightly in a Broken World. Now, part of the reason that I want to go through this has to do with where we've come from. Now, I don't want to dwell a lot on where we've come from the la- for the last year and a half or two years because I feel like in some ways we're navel-gazing. We can, we can get too caught up in understanding what happened over the last year and a half. And I think in some ways we just need to acknowledge the last year and a half or two years was just really hard. I mean, I always joke about it, right? Like, n- nowhere did I, in the time of seminary, take a class on how to walk a local church through a pandemic, right? You just don't, you don't have something like that. And maybe now they'll start offering classes like that. I don't know. But it, it's not just me. It's all of us. There were so many aspects of what we just went through that were so difficult to process and so hard to understand, And I think what I want for all of us, though, because I don't think things are going to get easier necessarily, is I want us now to to be able to learn from the past. And what I would love for us to learn from the past is not so much how we messed up or to beat ourselves up or to do different things like that or to even beat up culture or the different things people are doing. What I want for Cornerstone is that no matter what comes in our future, that we we would together as a collective group of people, we would think rightly through whatever comes our way. That in the midst of difficulty and heartache, in the midst of what happened to us, whether it was the social unrest, whether it was the, the, the way in which I would say this, when all of us got inside and we were online, we were consuming information at a rate that we had never consumed before. And let me just say something. Our minds are not intended for infinite information. Only God's is. And then what happened is while we're in there in this kind of access to all this information, we didn't have anything to do with it. We looked at the various things coming our way and we were wondering how in the world living in Simi Valley, California, are we supposed to engage in many of those things? And not only did we not know what to do with it, but then we couldn't do anything about it. And when you don't know what to do with it and you can't do anything with it, oftentimes everybody just gets angry. We get frustrated. And I think what is so exciting, though, about God's word is that in the midst of anything that comes along in our world, I don't care what it is, is that God's word helps us to begin to understand how to engage regardless of our circumstances. And so that's what we're going to do today. Now, if you've got your Bibles and you want to go there, I'm going to go first to Ephesians 5, so you can keep your finger in, 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 in Romans 12. But let me just kind of get this off and rolling, this, this whole thing that we've just kind of gone through. But now, how can we rightly begin to move forward so that we're not gullible, we're not naive, we don't become pride? 
prideful. We don't become fools. We don't allow sin to kind of reign in the, in the, in the chaos. What are we supposed to do? Now look at verse 15 in Ephesians 5. Paul says this statement. He says, look carefully. It's this Greek word blepo, which literally it, it, it means to be circumspect, to look at a situation, to see the, kind of the forest for the trees, how you ought to walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are what? Evil. It's just hard. Therefore, though, verse 17, don't be foolish. Actually, the, the literal Greek translation is probably more don't be stupid, which is kind of interesting. But understand, here's our key to this, what the will of the Lord is. What are we supposed to do when we're not sure what to do? What, are, what, what is it that we're supposed to engage in? And what we're supposed to do is we are supposed to discern, to understand what it is that is God's will so that we might rightly walk through whatever we're called to walk through. Now, the greatest news in the world, and you can, you can turn your, your, your Bibles back to Romans 12, is that God's word actually helps us to understand how we can know God's will. Now, oftentimes when I hear people talk about God's will, they talk about it from the vantage point like it's God as like an eternal Easter bunny hiding his will underneath the mulberry bush and everyone is supposed to go find it. And God from heaven then is like as the you know, great dad that he is standing over all of humanity going warmer, warmer, oh, colder, colder, warmer, as if somehow God's will is a game of warmer and colder and it's not. But no matter who you are here, I don't care if you're not a follower of Jesus or you are a follower of Jesus, let me just say this. The best news in the world is that we can know God's will. Now, we can't know all of it. We're gonna talk about that in a second. But no matter what comes our way, we can be people that know what God is doing in this world, know how to join him in what he's doing in this world. And so therefore, no matter what hits us next, we can be a group of people that aren't caught off guard, that aren't caught in the, the midst of all the chaos. We can, we can understand. Now, now, let me show you what I mean by this. Look down in verse one, if you've got your Bibles or it's up on the screen. And, and Paul just says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, and here's the key phrase in there, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now just don't fly by that. We can know God's will. That's crazy. We can know what God wants us to do, and this is what Paul's trying to get us to. We can know it, but here's the reality, though, is we have to know then what is God's will, and we have to know then how to put ourselves in a position to be able to know it. Now, here's the question that we need to ask first, and if you're someone that takes notes, here's the just question that I want to ask right off the forefront. What is even God's will? Well, one of the ways in which we kind of process it is from two different vantage points, okay? So just keep this in the back of your mind. There's one vantage point, like out of Deuteronomy 29, that there are these secret things that belong to the Lord. There are things, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we are never going to know the answers to them. If you're somebody in here that's under the age of 30 and thinking somehow, if you just live life long enough, you will know everything, let me just tell you something. You won't know everything. You'll just know more of what you don't know. 
And I would even say this, when we're talking about God and what he's doing in the world, there are these secret things that are talked about in Deuteronomy that we're not supposed to know and we're supposed to keep our hands off of them. And all of this kind of wanting to know the truth about COVID and the truth about all these other things, you know this, we're never gonna find out. Now for some of you, you're like, must know. And if you're one of those people, come up afterwards. I don't like to hug, but I'll hug you and I'll tell you, you won't know. But let me tell you something. The greatest news in the world, though, is that it's not supposed to now, at the end of, uh, of, of everything, to be something that we're supposed to be now frustrated about. God's hidden will, and that's what we'll just call it for now, building it out of Deuteronomy 29, is his sovereign and absolute control over all things. Our God, even though you don't know, our God is omniscient. He knows everything. There is nothing our God doesn't know. And so our response should be like the psalmist who just goes, oh my gosh, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain it. It's, it's a Daniel in Daniel 4. There's all the inhabitants of the earth that are counted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, what it's supposed to do is it's not supposed to frustrate us. What it's supposed to do is cause us just to worship. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in here today, if you've bent the knee to him and come to him by faith, here's the greatest news. You don't have to know everything because our God does. And this is what we talk about when we talk about the hidden will of God, but then there's this other side of it when we talk about it, that it's not just the secret things, but look down in Deuteronomy 29, 29 again, if you've got your Bibles open, but there's also things that are revealed. They belong to us and our children forever. Well, why? That we may do all the words of the law, that we might know how to live. In other words, there's God's hidden will, but there's another side of it. There's this God's revealed will, his revealed truth that discloses to us what pleases him, what he's doing in the world, how we can join him. And I would even say this, let me just give you a quick little definition, and I pieced it together with some, some people that I kind of know and trust, and I love how, it, how they put it together, but just God's revealed will is, is God commanding, summoning his people to join him in his great purpose and plan through willfully and enthusiastically choosing to live his gracious design regardless of the circumstances and flourish as he intended. At the end of it, to do his will and to know his will is to know what he's doing in the world and then how do I join him? See, that was what happened over the last few, few years, a couple years is, is we kept looking at and we were wondering what's going on in the world, what's going on in the world, and what we should have been asking is, God, you know what's going on in the world. You know everything about what's going on in the world. Now, God, we don't have to know everything, but would you show us how we can join you? That should have been the question that we asked. Now, in order to do this, though, let me just kind of walk it through. How is it that we can know God's will? Now, here, this is the question I'm going to talk about, is how can we live rightly? How can we know God's will in a broken world? But here's the other part about it, and flourish when all else is floundering. I think regardless of what's going on in our world, I think God intends his people to flourish as the means of showing him off. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna ask this big question. If God's will is this idea that God's summoning him as people to join him in his great purpose and we are to respond and willfully and enthusiastically choose to come along with his gracious design, all right, God, then how do we find your will? 
Now here's the first thing, if you're taking notes. Here's the first one. We must know God's story. Now look down at Romans 12. Let me show you where I get that. In verse one, Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you. Then he uses the word, therefore. Now, when we come to the word therefore, when we're studying our Bibles, what do we have to ask? What's the therefore, therefore? The therefore points us back, and it points us back specifically into chapter 11, where here's Paul. He finishes writing this letter to the Romans, and all he says is, is oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom of God. Oh, how searchable his ways are his judgments and his inscrutable his ways. He's just blown away by it. In other words, there's this grand plan that is the secret things of God. But all of chapters 1 through 11, which when you look down at chapter 12, are these mercies of God, is him just recounting his story. I mean, think about the book of Romans. In chapter one, he's writing to these people and he just begins to explode on them what God has been doing in the world, who he's been doing it through. He talks about at the core of who we are as people, that we're sinful from the top of our heads to the bottom of our toes, but that God in his greatness was still reaching out to humanity and specifically he did it through the person of Jesus, chapter three. But then in chapter four, he tells us then, how can we come into this writing relationship with God? And he tells us the story of Abraham. Chapter five, he tells us the story of a guy named Adam. Chapters six, seven, and eight kind of interweave this story that kind of combines Moses and all the prophets and what they were doing in the world. In other words, what Paul, I think, is saying is that in order to understand God's will, you need to understand God's story. You need to understand God's word. Now, just looking around a room like this, I know kind of where everybody is. We're all over the place. But let me just tell you this. You will never know God's will. You will never understand what God is doing, what he's summoning you to, how it is that you're supposed to join him if you don't know God's story, which that's why we say this all the time. We need to be in God's word. The problem is we live at a time in which there's so much biblical illiteracy. People like to talk about what others have said about God's word because in a weird way, we're kind of like baby birds. The church has become like baby birds and the mama bird is the person that stands up and preaches and they shovel God's word down in them. They kind of recycle a little bit like I showed you before and then they stand over the baby birds and they go, blah, you know, and then the baby birds get fed. Beautiful picture. You need to know God's word. We gotta be in it. And not only that, but our tendency is, and I hear this all the time in myself and other people, we tend to grab the verses that we want to say what we, kind of get the Bible to say what we want. It's not getting the Bible to say what we want. That's turning the Bible into Frankenstein. We are sitting down and knowing God's word and loving God's word and understanding what he's doing in the world so that we know out of understanding who he is from Genesis to Revelation, we know how to join him. And I would say this, coming into the new year across the board, I hope whether you're somebody who's 15 or you're, or you're 95, that this coming year you make it a point that you are going to be in God's word because the only way that we're gonna ever know God's will, the only way we're gonna think rightly in the midst of a world that's floundering is if we get into God's word. We must be in it. Now, is everybody with me on the first point? You sure? Okay, 
I notice a couple of you kind of nodding off a little bit. I'll come close to you if I have to. This is how important this is. I'm going to come out and I'm just going to stand and preach right by you. We cannot know God's will. We can't unless we know God's story. We have got to be in God's word. So and that's on one end. So what's the second thing? Well, not only do we have to know God's word, but I would say this, we have to embrace God's story. Now, now where do I get that? Well, if you look down at in, in chapter 12, verse one, he not only appeals to them by these mercies of God that he points us back in to understand God's story, but then he tells them what to do. I want you to now, he says, present your bodies. The, the word there is better translated whole selves. I want you to present your whole selves as a sacrifice. Now, what's Paul saying there? Well, anybody that would have read this would have totally understood what Paul was talking about because he knew that he was thinking about an Old Testament concept in which a person would bring this unblemished lamb to a priest. The priest would take the lamb, lay hands on it, walk through a process. They would cut its throat. It would go bad no more as it laid on an altar. The whole point was is when somebody brought that, they were saying, this is God's. I'm doing, God, what you have called me to do. You have called me. You've revealed to me. This is what it means. This is what you're summoning me to. This is what it means to join you in the world. And so, therefore, I'm bringing the best of my flock, the one that's unblemished, and I'm bringing it to you now as the means now of us being kept in a right relationship. Now, in this particular case, though, what's so fascinating is he doesn't say bring an animal. He says bring what? You. He says to bring yourselves to it now to lay it on the altar. Now this takes it to a whole different place. Because what we're saying is, and this isn't a one-time act, this is something that has to happen over and over and over again, is it's bringing ourselves on a regular daily basis and saying to God, God, I want desperately to join you in what you're doing in this world. <clears throat> but Father, if I confess to you, Oh, it is so hard. I know your story, but I don't want to join you. And what it means to be a sacrifice is to say, God, help me. Now, every single one of us have a testimony over the last 24 hours of what I'm talking about. I know there's many of you in here like me that you want to follow Jesus passionately, but on a day-by-day -day basis, it is just a battle. Yesterday, I woke up. And in waking up, I knew that what we needed to do was to go to a five-year-old soccer game. I didn't want to go. Why? Because I'm really selfish. I am. And I sat there the whole time thinking, oh man, don't I have some COVID symptoms so I don't have to go there like I didn't have to preach the Sunday before? And I was kidding. But there's this, this side again, you're thinking I'm a terrible dad, but you know you've done it too, where you're just like, oh, I don't want to do it. Afterwards, you know, we came home, and I won't tell which child it was, but suddenly this child and I had conflict, and instead of being Christ-like man, I totally, instead of being a sacrifice, going, God, help me to live with your purpose and plan, instead, I became an ape, and I just started pounding my chest all over the place. Why? Because I thought I was more important than my child. The rest of the day, man, I had just an ongoing battle of wanting to be a sacrifice. We don't want it. 
That's why Paul says we have to do it on a regular basis. And then he gives us these three adjectives to help us understand is that one, it needs to be holy. To be holy doesn't mean just clean. Yes, we're, we're to be these, 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 these people that are clean that come before God, but the idea is, is this idea of a sacrifice that's holy as it's set apart to God and God alone for whatever he wants to do. And last night as I'm laying in bed, I'm just like going, oh my Lord, I, I have to preach on this tomorrow and I just gave a testimony of not what to do on Saturday, God. How in the world am I gonna preach to these people? Just confessing before the Lord, going, God, I want to be holy. I want to be set apart for your use and your use only. And then he uses that word acceptable, which is it's another word is it's well-pleasing. Just something that the father looks down on and finds pleasure in, not because he necessarily sees us, but I would say it this way, is that to be a living sacrifice is to be one who no longer it's I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. He sees Jesus in me. And last night, I do believe in my confession before the Lord. And as I'm just coming before him, the father was just fully pleased. But I think the other part here that's important is, is living. To be a living sacrifice, it means at the, at the end of the day that I am this, this one who in all facets and forms of my life, God, would you just teach me and would you show me how it is that I can live in such a way that you're pleased and you're honored, in a way that's holy, that's set apart, in a way that truly does reflect the greatness of Jesus. It's this longing to understand the story and then it's the capacity to actually go live it. See, it's one thing to know it, isn't it? It's, a whole, it's one thing to know it. We, we can all sit down and we could probably all play Bible trivia, you know, and maybe I'd be a little better than you or maybe you'd be a little better than me. And if, if the whole goal of God was that we played Bible trivia at the end of the day, we just knew information about God's story, oh, God help us. It's easy to know information. It's hard to live it. And in this, what Paul is saying is an invitation, and this is what I want you to get. Not only is it something that God's called us to, but because of the giving of the Holy Spirit, we can. We can be made able to do this. I mean, when's the last time you just thought, okay, God's making these commands to me, and on one level you'd think, oh, this absolutely stinks, he's making these commands, but then God is also providing the means and the power to be able to actually accomplish it. And as we know God's story, and as we begin to live God's story, I think that's what Paul's talking about in 12.1. This is your spiritual worship. This is just worship to God. Musical singing can be worship, but let me tell you something. When God's people know God's story and then begin to live in God's story, that's worship. That is something that smells really good to the Father. And let me just say this. You will never, ever understand God's will unless you're pursuing an understanding of his story. And you will never understand God's will if you're not choosing to live God's story. Not perfectly, but God never reveals his will to people that aren't even trying to live this story that we're part of. Okay, is everybody with me the first two? You with me? Okay, just making sure. All right. Here's the second one. I'm gonna go past that. When we look down in there then, well, what else is it that we need to be able to know? <coughs> well, the first one is that we need to know God's story. The second one is we gotta embrace God's story. But here's the third one. We must say no to all other stories. Now look down in verse two. Here's, here's where I get this from. 
In verse two, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now that word that it's talking about, they're not being conformed, and it has to do with this idea of not allowing the world and its system, the system of this age to press down around you, the system that's headed by Satan. Do not allow it to shape you in any kind of a way. And one of the words that he's gonna go after in here is this word mind, is he's gonna talk about this idea of not allowing your mind to be impacted that way. In other words, not only do I need to know God's story, and not only do I need to now embrace and live God's story, but the third component of this is is I have to learn to say no to a myriad of other stories that are going on out in our world. And what do I mean by other stories? Another story that happened to me yesterday, and that's why I probably shouldn't be preaching today. My gosh, I just thought about that. We had just finished the soccer game and I, you know, I completed my task and checked off the box and I was so proud of myself. And I'm walking out and as I walked out, anybody that knows me, because I've told you this before, I walked by the biggest, coolest truck I've ever seen in my life. And suddenly a story popped into my head. A story with me in the driver's seat. My little lady snuggled up next, I guess you can't anymore, you can't snuggle up next, so I'd be more like this. And us going on a drive in that big bad truck. Now it's not just that story, a story of like thinking somehow I'm gonna be a fulfilled human being if I've got a big giant truck with big giant wheels that's all jacked up, because usually we do that because we're insecure. That's a whole other issue, but I am insecure. (laughs) But these stories hit us every day. During the election season, we're bombarded by different forms of thinking. And let me just tell you this. At the core of every political thinking that is not found in Christ, it's evil. It is seeking to sway you to the world and this system. Again, you might be thinking, well, not my particular brand of politics. Yes, your brand of particular politics. Every aspect is trying to draw you away and we have to be able to, at the end of the day, say no to it because you know this. In order to say yes to God's story and in order to say yes to living God's story that ends up being this worship service of our life, we've got to say no to a lot of other stories. Stories that lie to us and tell us that we need to make a lot of money to be satisfied and happy. Stories that lie to us and tell us that the government can provide all of our happiness. We can just sit back and enjoy the ride as they send us our $1,200 a month checks. The lie that says in that, in the, that I need more education and more information. I'm not opposed to education or information. But if you think somehow that you're going to be a satisfied human by the culminating of information, it is a lie from the pit of hell. The lie that says to be satisfied, I need to live in a certain area code. The lie that says to myself, if I could just get out of California, everything would be okay. I just talked to my family that lives outside of California. They're not okay. (laughs) It's the willfully learning to say no. And as we move along through this, as we begin to talk to it, that's why we need each other. I need people around me going, Todd, I think you're believing lies. You gotta learn to say no to these things. And and let me just talk to those of you that are maybe teens, 20s just right now. I don't even, I'm not even gonna begin to think about what it is of the lies that you're gonna be being told as you begin to age. 
But I think right now, right now is a phenomenal time to learn how to say no to those various things. See, I think we bought into this lie, and I've said this before, that somehow people under the age of 45 can't passionately and radically follow Jesus Christ. But this year when I was, when I was working through the Old Testament, I came on this young guy named Josiah. It's why I named my son, my oldest son, Josiah. An eight-year-old that passionately walked with and followed Jesus, how? It's because he knew God's story, he lived God's story, and at the end of it, he got rid of all things that stood against God, and he became an eight-year-old, a teenager, a 20-something, that passionately walked with Jesus. So those of you in here that are young, and you can listen along if you're, if you're over 30, just, it's fine. Don't buy the lie. You can passionately follow Jesus now, but you've got to learn not only what to say no to, you've got to learn what to say also yes to, and this is what we're working through. Now, the thing that he's after in 12.2 is this word, and, and this is the key to it, the, the thing that changes it all is this idea of the renewal of your mind. Now, what is the mind? Well, the mind is not simply the brain. It's not simply the, 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 the intellect. It's not sim simply the conscious thoughts or our reason. Instead, it's our interface with the world. It's our interface with God. It's, it's this, this beautiful tool that God's given us to rightly know and interact with him in the world in which we live. It's something that we've got to understand, though, that not only is it one, a tool that can be used for incredible purposes, it can be used and be renewed, and now I can be this person that is transformed to join God in what he's doing, but it also can be conformed. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. In Romans 1, humanity, when we think about humanity across the board, it talks about this idea that all of them, even though they knew God, look at that 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise. They became fools. Now watch this. And since they did not see, to fit, they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what, not, what ought not to be done. In other words, you choose to now not live God's story. You choose to not know God's story. You choose then to say yes to other stories that are out there. And the mind can become debased. Not only debased, but when you look at also in Romans 7, no matter what I do, and I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to kind of summarize this, that even if we fill our mind full of God's word, but we are not groups of people that have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can't have the mind that God wants us to. Verse, or chapter 6 in Romans, or chapter 8, those who live according to the flesh, look at this, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Their mindset is on the world and its system that's, that's headed by Satan. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They have a mindset about what God is doing in the world. They're knowing his story. They're choosing to live his story. For to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind of the spirit is life and peace. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But those who are in the flesh, they can't please God. See, I think what Paul's getting at in Romans 12 is, is what you choose to put your mind towards. 
If you choose to remove yourself from God's story and not know it, if you choose to then not live God's story, if you begin to say yes to other things, I promise you, your mind will go a direction. And according to Romans 8, it's just towards death. But if you are one, though, in verse 6 of chapter 8, who instead says, no, I'm going to know God's story. I'm going to live God's story. I'm going to say no to those other stories by the grace of God with those around me. You are going to find life and peace. And that's the name of this, the reason I called it the way I did. We can flourish while the rest of the world is floundering. Ephesians 4, you can even take this a step further. It says, now I say to you and testify to the Lord, don't walk as the Gentiles do. Don't, don't have your mind set on fleshly things in the, look at that word, futility of their minds. Philippians 3.18, for many who I've often told you now and tell you even with tears that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in shame, look at this, with minds set on earthly things. But we can do it differently. We can. That's why this morning we're in God's word. That's why we're trying to talk about how do we, we live like God wants us to live. See, I put up that passage in 5, 15 through 17 earlier, but in verse 18, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead you can be filled with the spirit. The idea there is, is of, uh, of setting your sails. If, if I, you and I were to go sailing, which is kind of weird because I don't know how to sail and probably most of you don't, but let's just pretend we could sail. And we went out on our sailboat. We know that the sail does not in any way push the boat, but I've got to set the sails correctly. And as I set the sails correctly and the wind begins to fill it, the wind pushes the boat. In other words, if you set yourself to knowing God's story, if you set yourself to, to living God's story, if you set yourself to saying no to the stories of the world that they're lying to you and telling you this is how to find satisfaction and hope, something powerful begins to happen inside of you. You begin to be transformed made different. Not because you're doing it, but because you're simply setting your sails right. That's what we do. Our job is to set our sails right, but then God and his spirit blows into them, and you know this. I put myself in that position, and if you choose to do it, a year from now, you will not be the same person that you were before. Now, the biggest thing, though, that I think it does, the greatest gift is found in 12.3. Look down in, in chapter 12. Let me just show you this coming off of it. How is it that now we begin to live if we begin to know God's story, embrace God's story, say no to other stories? Verse three, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to. In other words, the greatest gift the Bible gives you is to think rightly about you. Your biggest problem is not Joe Biden. Your biggest problem is not Congress. Your biggest problem is not Gavin Newsom. Your biggest problem is not the school system. The biggest problem is not the police. Your biggest problem is not any of those other things. Listen to me. Your biggest problem is you. Amen. That is what he's saving you from. Thank you whoever said that. That's what he's saving you from, you. See, now when we begin to think rightly, not only do we do that, but then we start to realize that Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer look at that. What does it say? Live for? Oh, 
Did you think Christ died so that you would no longer live for yourself? What a gift. But for him who for their sake died and was raised, you were saved to live for Jesus. You were saved to be a group of people, 12, four through six, that bring to bear who you are so that we use them for the benefit of others. You were saved to be a group of people that let love be genuine, verse nine, that abhor what's evil, that hold fast to what's good, that let one another, or love one another with brotherly affection, that you outdo one another in showing honor. You were saved to be so different towards those within church, but not only those within the church. You were saved, verse 14, to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. You were saved to be radically different. So that means no matter what comes up for us in the coming months, weeks, years, let me just say this. If we're a group of people who devote ourselves to God's story, devote ourselves together to living God's story, to devote ourselves together to learn how to say no to other stories, what is gonna happen to you is, is all those verses that I showed you from 1 Corinthians down to Romans 12, 20, or 12, 21, you will begin to look like Jesus. Romans 8, the whole goal of God is that you might be transformed into the likeness of his son. And I would just say this, don't you want that? Don't you want to look like Jesus? Man, yesterday I wish I would have looked like Jesus at a kid's soccer game. Instead, I must have just looked like sour poopy pants or something. I mean, I was just like, oh, when I was sitting there, you know, thinking I was all that with my child. Oh, I wish I would have looked like Jesus. Throughout the day as I went along and finally in bed, when I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, I'm about to preach to a group of people. Oh, oh Father, I pray when I preach, I look like Jesus. And can you imagine a church of little Christ's ones living in our world? Don't you want that? Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, let me just be really honest with you. Everything I've said doesn't pertain to you because unless you've come to Jesus Christ by faith and by faith alone, unless you know him, unless you've bent the knee to the great king, Jesus Christ, and come to him understanding, there is nothing in and of yourselves that you can do whatsoever to ever merit this love of God. He gives it freely through his son, Jesus Christ, to all those who come by faith and faith alone. You will never know God's will. The first step is bending your knee to the king. But cornerstone, and this is why I can't wait to go through the rest of this series, we can know. Do you get that? Whatever you're going through right now, we can know. Whatever you're walking through, whatever you feel, think feels so daunting, whatever it is that you're facing right now, you can know God's story. You can live God's story. You can say no to the other stories that are out there and you can be transformed and begin to look like the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so now your mind is not only transformed but 1 Corinthians 2.16, you can have the mind of Christ. And I would say this, all God's people said, amen. amen. So here's what I want you to do. If you're able, please stand up.
All right. Now, to all of you, those of you that are online, I'm about ready to check out with you. Uh, we're about ready to have one of our, our global partners is going to come up and share, but we can't put it online. So I love all of you, and I'm sorry you can't go down this next path with us, but I'm about ready to give a Trinitarian blessing. And after I'm done, then I'm going to bring up uh, Christian and one of our partners, and they're going to share about what's going on in this particular partner's part of the world. But to the rest of us, we have a good, good father. Our father, from a hidden will standpoint, he reigns and rules over all things. There is nothing, nothing outside of his purview or his power. In the name of the son who came, the living image of God in front of us so that we might know what it is, not only who God is, but what humanity was intended to be. And he died and rose again so that we might be those people. In the name of the Holy Spirit now, the same one who raised King Jesus from the dead is alive and well inside of those of us that know Jesus. So in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, oh, God's people, may you go and you may you live knowing God's will in what he's doing in this world. And all God's people said, amen. amen.